The Pod Doctors is brought to you by the Kindle book, Saving Limbs, Saving Lives, Advanced Treatments to Prevent Amputations in Diabetic Populations. This book by Dr. Damien Dauphiné discusses specific patient cases in diabetic limb preservation, which highlight the modern use of wound care technology that has exploded in the last 20 years. With only one advanced therapy available in 1999, there are now hundreds of options to help close chronic wounds in diabetic patients. Dr. Dauphiné distills these options down to show patients and physicians treating these patients how combinations of these products can be used to save limbs and save lives. Welcome to The Pod Doctors. I'm Dr. Damien Dauphiné, board-certified foot and ankle surgeon, and my partner, Dr. Rafa Hussein, fellowship-trained podiatric surgeon, and we are The Pod Doctors. Each week, The Pod Doctors will be discussing aspects of podiatric medicine and surgery to educate our audience on common foot and ankle problems and the latest treatment options available. We hope to bring you interesting and informative shows each week discussing all the crazy ways that our wonderful foot can malfunction and cause us problems. So please find us on all the platforms where you find your typical podcasts, uh, Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, and YouTube where you can view our videos. So please like and subscribe, and we will see you next time on The Pod Doctors. Welcome to The Pod Doctors. I'm Dr. Damien Dauphiné, and I'm here with my partner, Dr. Rafa Hussein. Hi, hello. We have survived the frozen tundra that was North Texas last week. Yeah, it was in freezing temperatures. It was like 10, 15 degrees, and today it's in the 80s. It's just typical Texas weather. Gotta <laughs> love it. Uh, so we were completely shut down last week, but we've got enough canned content that we were able to publish last week. A, a interview I did with Tony Rodriguez, who is the program director for a new wound center that we're putting up here in Argyle, which was great. I want to give a shout out to Tony again for doing that with us. That was awesome. Uh, so we haven't missed a week, even though we were just completely out of commission last week, which has been great. And our video editor, according to Michael Yoder, our guy who is handling a lot of the logistics and technical details around this podcast, the video guy is here in Texas, which I didn't realize. And so he was, you know, out of luck. Yeah, if you have no days. electricity, yeah, everything's I, frozen. What are you supposed to do? You're not going to be editing video. <laughs> So I think at this stage, uh, we're fortunate to be back uh, in the saddle, and the weather's beautiful here in North Texas, and uh, we're seeing patients again, which is great. But today, we wanted to uh, change the focus over to hallux rigidus, which is an incredibly common problem that we see, you know, a specific arthritic joint, essentially. So what do you got for us, Dr. Hussein? So hallux rigidus, what is it? Uh, Typically, a patient will come in, complaining of big toe joint pain. We'll do our little physical exam, but commonly it'll be after activities, they are runners or they do a lot of walking for work and they start having pain in their big toe joint, uh, primarily in the big toe, but it can you know, uh, show up elsewhere uh, in the midfoot, in the arch, in the ankle, in the knees, the hip, the lower back, because it's all related. They start compensating. Exactly, yeah. they start compensating. And you know, you're trying to... <clears throat> take the pressure off that big toe joint and you're walking all wonky and um, yeah, it catches up with you. Sometimes if the hallux rigidus is bad enough, you can get some um, enlargement, some spurring. It can catch on the shoes, which can be um, painful in, in the uh, the dress shoe type of, uh, or tight snug shoe type of options. 
So, I mean, what are we looking at clinically? Clinically, we see a bump sometimes. It can be enlarged. It can be inflamed. It'll be painful on range of motion exercises. Sometimes uh, if it's been a, a busy day and they come see you, you know, patients that come from work afterwards and, and uh, it'll be red hot, swollen, you know, you're like, all right, this is bothering you. And they're like, yeah, it's very tender. I've been walking all day. It's been bothering me. Uh, what do you see? Uh, very typical. Yeah, I think this is kind of where you're you're thinking. Okay, could this be gout? Yeah. Could this be just hallux ridges? Could it really be gout on top of hallux ridges? Yeah, you can have both. You could have both. If they're really red hot and swollen, and and to the extent that we see in a gout patient, yeah. where just the wind blowing by their foot is enough, or the sheets, the sheets on their foot is yeah. enough to drive it crazy. That's where I'm like, okay, maybe this is gout on top of what's going on with the joint. Yeah. So that's why x-rays are really important. And I know you've got some x-rays coming up here. But the clinical exam, you're going to see they have tremendous pain with hallux rigidus at the end range of motion. Yeah, that's so that when you hit bone that, on bone contact. That thud. Yeah, and that hurts because you've got loss of cartilage there. You've got bone on bone contact. Exactly. Yeah. So what, we're, what he's talking about is this joint here. I'm just afraid if I can show it better. Your big toe joint, right? You've got two joints, right? Your IPJ and your MPJ. And that MPJ is what's anchored. So when we do that end range of motion, and if it's locking, it's a hard stop. That's that bone on bone contact. That's when we start thinking hallux rigidus or limitus, depending on, you know, uh, the point or who you talk to or. It's kind of, I think it's of hallux limitus as the stages of one and two yeah. in the staging series. And then three is you just pretty much got a locked up joint. And that's and, really how it's And most of these patients will be having this problem on and off for months and months and years, years you know, yeah. and it'll just slowly catch up with them. So some of the other findings that we'll see, because obviously it's not an acute event, is we'll start seeing that callus, that mm. callus that, bent, that uh, Pinch starts callus. formulating uh, yeah. under the IPJ when you have that limited motion, right? If you can imagine, if you don't have that motion in that joint... You're going to be putting all the pressure on your toe and trying to make up that motion at the IPJ. They'll even rotate in the shoe and they'll roll off the side of and the house. That's yeah. when you start seeing yeah. the pinch callus on the medial side, and you'll get that transfer lesion. You know, you start getting the the other metatarsals trying to take the pressure off of it, and you get that callus under the second, under the third, and um, sometimes you can get that uh, spurring on the feet. I'm, I'm sure you see oh, those yeah. quite a bit. That radiograph you have right there at the bottom of oh, your yeah, this is just a lot of spurs. That is. That you're going to see what we call a joint mouse. Yeah, that green arrow a, that's pointing to a joint mouse. That's a, a osteophyte that's been floating in that joint ends up becoming big and hypertrophic, uh, enlarged, and ends up becoming a space-occupying uh, mass oh, in that just, joint. And it just erodes cartilage oh, like yeah. there's no tomorrow. That's a pretty massive spur situation there. So you can happens, see the joint's gone completely. So, I mean, you see this all the time. What happens when you start... Losing that joint movement completely, you start making up in the most proximal joint next to it, the uh, the saddling of the first metatarsal cuneiform joint. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, as a nerve specialist, I'm sure you see this quite a bit. I mean, that uh, medial dorsal cutaneous nerve, yeah. or the deep peroneal nerve, right. gets uh, entrapped over there and it gets doesn't like going over that bump and having shoes push the nerve down onto the bump. So that nerve crossing <clears> over that <throat> bump ends up becoming saddled between that bone and that shoe. And it gets pinched off like a rock in a hard place type of situation. And uh, that can be quite painful. Nerve pain is the worst. And it's just a contributor to, you know, the global pain that the patient's experiencing. So it's not just the joint. Sometimes it's the joint plus the bump causing the nerve issue. Yeah, they'll come in presenting with one symptom. That could be the nerve. It's getting burning, tingling to mm -hmm. that area. But what's causing that, you know? Yeah, it's and the fun. underlying bone lesion is, is usually the issue. Yeah, it's a fun little puzzle.
So what's happening? So this is when we were talking about the hallux limitus versus rigidus type of situation. You're getting that jamming of that joint. It's technically osteoarthritis. Mm -hmm. You're getting jamming of that joint. And over time, that wear and tear is breaking down that cartilage, that nice healthy cartilage, and ends up getting spurring and getting the uh, uh, that limitation, that bony uh, prominence, which is stopping that motion at that first metatarsal. Um, you must have gotten this uh, from a German website, you know, <laughs> yeah. the Engelschrant and the Biwegelschreit. <laughs> I, I thought the pictures were great. They are great. <laughs> I don't know how to pronounce that, though. The Erosion der Gleckenschreit. Well, you did your fellowship, right? And and uh, uh, that was in Russia. This in is Russia, not, this is in Russian. I no. I have a hard time with Cyrillic as well, so don't don't ask me to speak uh, speak <laughs> Russian. I know just enough to find the bar, uh, order a beer, and find a restroom. That's about all I can do. Well, what happens? You come in, we see the patient, we do our little biomechanical exam. Sometimes it could be traumatic. It could be an acute injury. It could be trauma. It could be a hypertrophic head. It could be a flat head of the first metatarsal. But more commonly, it's a hypermobility of that first metatarsal at that medial column, at the first uniform joint. Right. That, uh, um, <clears throat> that I think, is is a huge part of this for the vast majority of patients who end up with this. Yeah, I don't think they call it hypermobility anymore. I think they call it first-rate instability, right, I want to say? Yeah, I, mean, no I, I still call it hypermobility, yeah. but yeah. In first last few years. First-rate instability, I think, is, is probably where they're headed with that terminology around that, yeah. but... So what we see on a weight-bearing x-ray is that elevation of that first metatarsal. And the key is to get a clean x-ray, straight lateral x-ray. And, you know, your nurses or your, your radio techs will, will get, you know, decent x-rays that have the leveling aspect on the, the uh, x-ray arm. Mm -hmm. Because it could be falsely, you know, uh, um, showing if elevated. The yeah, if the foot's supinated, it's going to look elevated. So it's really yeah. got to be a nice lateral. Yeah, I totally agree. But what you'll see is an elevation, and this is early, so you see that there's not too much osteophytes or anything going on here. So this is early, this would be like a stage one, and we'll go through the stages. Um, but over time, that instability, that hypermobility, whatever you want to call it, ends up allowing that first ray to jam at that first metatarsal um, phalangeal joint. When I have patients in office, I'll do a little test. I mean, you put two pounds of pressure on that first uh, metatarsal and you'll push up on that joint and you'll see that they get jamming but when they're sitting there and the patient's like look i have great range of motion and i'll be, I, i'll show you the before and after mm -hmm. i push down on that metatarsal and that does what it's supposed to do it's you know when you you walk your mid-tarsal joint and your subtalar joint locks it pronates the forefoot which allows that first uh, metatarsal to plantar flex and then you get great range of motion but when you have that instability, that first ray, that first metatarsal will elevate. So you put two pounds of pressure on there, and that causes jamming. I mean, it's like a, it's like it sixty degrees to like ten degrees. Yeah, it yeah. eliminates the functional range of motion, and yeah. the jamming. You pay the price over years and years of the jamming. Yeah, yeah. it's it's osteoarthritis of that big toe joint, and it's a biomechanical complication. Right. So what happens, and this is what you're talking about, the way that people compensate. Right. They start walking out-toed. You know, they, they pronate their foot, which causes the foot to unlock more. You end up walking more flat-footed. You walk out-toed, which causes the relative tibia to internally rotate, which causes you to become, um, what's it called? Uh, in, in, in need, not need, whatever it's called, where uh, your, 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 your knees are, are bending in. Yeah, genuine yeah, algum. Yeah. Um, which causes your pelvic area, your pelvic bone to tilt forward which 
leads to lower back pain and it goes up the line and can cause lower neck pain. I mean, uh, it's all related. The knee bones connected to the... So. Start getting cervical pain. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's that sudden good. locking, that sudden <clears throat> limitation, which you got to make up that motion somewhere else, be it the ankle, knee, hips, lower back, and et cetera. The other thing that we'll notice is you know, patients may have tried over-the-counter arch supports yeah. and other things that didn't work quite as well because it's really hard to accommodate that particular problem without a very specific orthotic with yeah. a Morton's extension. I don't know if you... Have oh yeah, I'm gonna go through that. the orthotics. Okay, cool. But yeah, you're you're on point. I mean, yeah. a lot of people will come in with those memory foam, the gel inserts, yeah. and you're like, look, these were great and comfortable for the first day or two you wore them. But the problem isn't that you're walking on stones. Right. The problem is that your foot's not functioning to its peak biomechanical ability. The joints locked up. Got to use a different approach. Yeah. That's really hard to replicate with something over the counter. No, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's very difficult. <clears throat> So we'll get x-rays, and this will determine how bad the joint is. If it's early on, great. You can take care of it, and simple conservative options work great for these. That's where orthotics are real helpful, yeah. Yeah. Because if you've got somebody that has hypermobility, but their joint's not destroyed yet, you could do a first-rate cutout yeah. and allow that, that metatarsal to sit a little lower, yeah, and that improves the range of motion. Here we go. Yeah, first-rate right cutouts work great. Now, that's not going to work for someone whose joint's totally shot, because you don't want to ask the totally shot joint to do more work. Yeah, when you got a, a joint that looks like this, yeah, you're toast. Or this, yeah, <laughs> you got toast. you got no joint there left. Yeah. I mean, it's it's bone on bone. It's hypertrophic. It's painful. It's yeah. stiff. Yep. So that's when Doctor D was talking about this Morton's extension. Yep. Oh man, is that Mike Tyson going down? Oh yeah. So here are some conservative <laughs> options that we can do to help take care of the pain when it's not too bad. We get that first rate cut out. When it's pretty bad and that joint is painful to move, we do that Morton's extension. Very opposite approaches. So if you have good joint still, we want to promote that motion, make it so that joint stays nice and healthy. When you start getting that arthritis in that joint, we want to limit that motion significantly. So that Morton's extension will still allow about 10 degrees of motion, depending on how stiff that uh, that carbon fiber or that plastic or that polymer is, you know, and that's when we plane, you know, if you want to do two millimeters or three millimeters or, or however thick you want to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that mobility is limited at that big toe joint. Other things we can do conservative, you know, we can get you into some like rocker bottom type shoe gear. Uh, there was a big thing with Skechers a couple years back, the, yeah. the shape ups. They're orthopedic style shoes that I guess Kim Kardashian and all these other people decided that they want to, you know, get a couple bucks on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hey, I, it helps out people. Uh, it's, people it's, who have ankle arthritis or Alex Rigidus. I yeah. think this is a legitimate thing to consider. And I do tell patients to yeah. get them. Yeah. I tell them to get the, the Dr. Comforts, the, the Skechers. Mm-hmm. I tell them what to look for because some of them have like um, some foam to them. I tell them the more rigid it is. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a whole uh, bag of tricks that you can do uh, with simple rocker bottom shoes. And then when it comes down to it, if it's really painful, we can do steroid injections. Steroid injections are good, but they're short-lived. That's the only downside to them. I think... Um, there is a place for stem cell. In stem these. cell, of course, uh, hyaluronic acid. There's a lot of things that we can do. I think that, it, but you got to catch it relatively early. Yeah. When, when you're at the stage that you were showing, where you've got the hypertrophic, the really widened joint, and there's no cartilage left, I don't. Your stem cells aren't going to do you much good at that. Yeah, point. So you want to be at at this stage yeah, right here, where you're catching or, it relatively early. Maybe even this stage when you're still catching it, and you yeah. get them into an insole or orthotic that will will help protect that joint. So orthotic and stem cells. Because yeah. if you don't do anything for the biomechanical reason you're getting this. A couple months down the line, it's just going to catch up with you again. Spitting in the wind. Yeah. yeah. 
not going to work. All right. So we tried all the conservative options. We tried, you know, shoes. We tried orthotics. We tried injections. Doc, it's too painful. I need this fixed. What are my next steps? So I can go through the whole classification system, but honestly, it's per patient. I mean, if it comes back, it's it's hypertrophic. It's painful. We do different procedures based on how badly damaged that uh, that first toe joint is. The baseline is uh, your chylectomy, uh, also known as your uh, Valenti, right? Um, yeah, just to clean out, get rid of the spurs, improves range of motion, but uh, doesn't change the mechanics that caused it in the first place. Yeah, these are good for older <clears throat> patients uh, that, you know, it's painful, but they're not good candidates for something more aggressive. Or this is good for someone who we can see that it's primarily just a dorsal osteophyte on both ends. We could take that down and get them into some orthotics or something or some shoes that will help slow down the progression. Understanding that this may build back up over the years, but it will at least buy them a couple of years before we have to do anything a little bit more aggressive. Uh, I use this sparingly. It's yeah. not one of my go-tos. I think there's a lot better options, but... I agree. Uh, when you know certain patients fit the criteria, like I said, mostly for me, it's older patients, you know, that aren't uh, good candidates for something a little bit more aggressive. But um, I, the only time I've used this in the last ten years has been in patients who had a serious nickel allergy, and we couldn't use an implant. An implant, yeah. So we could fuse it, or we could do the chylectomy. So, so that's a pretty small percentage. I actually patient. had a patient uh, with a nickel allergy, and we ended up doing this next procedure. So go, there we go, a Keller. Um, yeah. I like to do my Kellers with a craft. The original Keller was you literally remove that joint. It provides some space. Your toe is a little bit extra floppy, which is fine because it'll contract some and then get back to normal. Um, you could pinch in the capsule and all that jazz. But now that we have rafts and uh, I use umbilical cord for these mm. and I'll, I'll fold them over. I'll stitch them into a little square, cut it into a circle and I'll tag them on two sides of that capsule and then I'll tag it up top. Just resurface the yeah. whole metatarsal head. It's like yeah. uh, parachuting the joint, I think <clears throat> they call it. And mm -hmm. here's a couple examples, different ways that other people have done them. Uh, this is a straight parachute, your classic technique for these. And this is, uh, they made it into like a little ball to make up the that that gap. I do mine as a square. Spencer, yeah. yeah, it doesn't make a difference. As yeah. long as you have a cushion between there, I think it works great. And like I said, these are for, you know, a set specific amount of patients. Um, it wouldn't be something I would do for... A long distance runner. I want something more functional for a long distance runner. Right. This would be something for someone who doesn't do too much walking or running. Your average, you know, uh, limited mobility older patient. Agreed. Here is a wedge resection. Uh, I think this one's called a Moberg. If I'm correct, I don't know. All these doctors have their own names to procedures, but you go in, you do a wedge to bring that joint up at the PIP. The PIB. It's kind of a cheater osteotomy. Yeah. So yeah. you're not technically cleaning up the joint, but what you're doing is you're decompressing it just slightly mm -hmm. and you're bringing the relative angle of the toe 10 to 15 degrees higher. Mm -hmm. I've done these for certain patients, uh, especially for patients who get the, the IPJ callus. Uh, I don't use the screw. I use a staple. Uh, that's my personal technique on them. But um, I think there's better procedures out there. I think I've done like maybe a handful of these in the last few years. Yeah. Not often. <clears throat> I've never done one. Yeah. Yep. Just, procedures. Yeah, I've had such good success with uh, with the Youngswick, Youngswick, Youngswick yeah. and, and a Hemi. I like doing both. Yeah, uh, yeah the Youngswick's a great procedure because you can drop the metatarsal head about three or four degrees. Yeah. 
at three or four millimeters most of the time. And then if you need to, you can replace the base of the big toe with a, a hemi implant. That so you're fixing both great. sides. Yeah, you're decompressing and you're you're allowing the metatarsal head to ride in this chromium cobalt mirrored smooth surface. Yeah. And those implants, those hemi implants, the base hemis have been around for 60 years. Oh, yeah. They're, they're old school and they work they great. Work All these newer ones are more anatomic, which are like, I think they're like stage four or, or grade four. I don't know what they're called anymore, but they're a lot more anatomic. The original ones, they used to use the Swanson implants. Mm-hmm. Remember those, the silicone ones? Oh, yeah. But uh, Took the, more of those out than I ever put in. Yeah, yeah. I think the metal ones <coughs> last a lot longer. And with the silicone ones, there's always that problem that you'll get a... Uh, the silicone reaction where mm-hmm. the, it starts breaking apart and it fragments and your body starts uh, capsulizing. Yeah, those, uh, it can get into your lymph nodes. And yeah. It's, there's some question about that. So I, here I, you can kind of see the before and after. This is what it looks like before a joint that doesn't have too much space. You can see the spurring and here's the after. You see a little space there, but here's the trick to it. They do that cut, which allows it to drop down and you have that one or two screws in there. I do my long arm on the planter shelf. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if people do it different ways, but... It, it works. It's um, a tried and true, and it's one of my go-tos for Halix Limitus. It works so good. Yep, I agree. Cartiva, are you a fan of these? Mm. <laughs> I'll be honest. I am not a fan of these. I think you have to do an adjunct to fix the problem, and if you want to use this uh, to make up the difference, it works great if you have cartilage loss, but I think using this on every Halix Limitus or Halix Ridges case, it doesn't work. Probably for not. traumatic Halix Ridges... <clears throat> By all means, because that's a, a pinpoint problem. You can go in and you could clean these up. Yeah, I if know. you had a specific hole in the cartilage, yeah, I don't disagree with that. But, but on again, your vast majority of hallux limitus, hallux rigidus type of patients, you have to address the biomechanics. Yeah, and I think that's hard to do by just uh, implanting part of the cartilage. But you know, I know these are relatively popular. I don't want to throw them under the bus too badly. But I, I you know, I think that, that my base hemis do accomplish the same thing yeah which is pain relief the goal of the surgery is pain relief yeah engage some range of motion but the goal of the surgery is pain relief so here are the implants that we're <coughs> talking about well that's not there, there are no okay there's the hemi you got the hemi right, right there, down the there base hemi. so it depends on what side of the joint you want to put it on and that yeah. depends on the x-rays but for the vast majority in my case it doesn't matter to me i don't care what the x-rays look like if the joint looks like this one here in your middle screen there <clears throat> I can put a hemi in there and the patient will do great. So my choices are fuse it or hemi it at that stage. Yeah. And most people are like, well, if I fuse it, then I've got no range of motion. <clears throat> if you put in the hemi, I'll have 25 or 30 degrees of range of motion. Okay, yeah. I'll take that. Yeah, I'm a hemi person too. Yeah. And, and it's true. I do mostly uh, base of the proximal phalanx myself also. It works great. I mean, it's tried and true. It mm-hmm. works well. You're placing that joint with a metal uh, that's never going to build up you know, osteophytes on it. You're never going to wear out. You've decompressed it, yeah. and uh, and obviously when you're in there, you're you doing your chylectomies. You know, you're cleaning up the spurring on all sides of the joint, and uh, it works. I mean, it's it's tried and true. I think there are some issues with the head ones. I think I've seen them dislocate. I've seen them end up with subsidence where it gets very loose, and and I don't know if that's just a mechanical problem. Uh, those things are huge. They they really they take up a lot of bone. Yeah, um, I've taken more of those out. Than I ever put in, and the base hemis, I can knock on wood. I've in 21 years of using them, I've only had to take one out. Yeah. So that's you know, it's a pretty good record. Yeah, it's like you know your knee replacements or your hip replacements. You know, you're replacing the problem site, and mm-hmm. it works. The upside to these is there's no plastic component to them. There's nothing that it will ever. And there's wear no poly out. like there is with yeah. like knees and hips no and stuff. No poly, so there's nothing to wear out. 
they'll outlast the patient that you put it in. Yeah. By far. And then when all else fails, the fusion. And I think this is uh, something that scares patients. When you tell patients that you're going to fuse that joint, you honestly won't realize that it's fused. I mean, for the first couple of months, you'll notice that you walk a little bit different. But for the vast majority, I mean, you, you know, uh, there, do people th- realize, do people notice that they've ever had the fusion? I mean, we have runners that are doing this. I mean, yeah, I, I think if it's done correctly and you put the joint in the right position, yeah, you can have equal... Uh, amounts of uh, positive reaction. That to, is true. To the and that's a key component. I'm, I'm glad yeah. you said that because a lot of people will fuse the joint and they'll fuse it too straight. Yeah, too straight. <laughs> and then your toe is sitting low or it's even if it's at like neutral, you're still too low. I like to do mine about five degrees. Fi- nah, I try to go like more. 10 to 15. Yeah. I put a like my gauze, I fold it up and I stuff it under there. I line it up. I throw my Kate wires. It works great. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and here's an example of say we did a you know a hemi implant or, or a, a toll implant and you know 10 15 years later it starts wearing out again you know well, god forbid maybe not that implant wears off but sometimes it wears the bone out oh yeah yeah, yeah that a, implant's not gonna wear its metal yeah you get a breakout in the bone you get it, it starts to dislocate and that's yeah. happened before or joint infection joint infection yeah. another good thing uh, so this is great you're putting a bone block in there so yeah. you're getting the length back and you're fusing the painful yeah. joint the hemis they don't wear out often i haven't had to take yeah. out one myself personally so knock on wood the knock only on one I had to take out was just for that reason the cortex on the base of the hallux actually broke through yeah so we took it out and fused her yeah but you know well, when in doubt you have this option i think i've used bone block more with kellers of other mm-hmm. doctors who've done them without a spacer uh, either the without the hemi like implant or the, the flopping around yeah, the, the collagen yeah. or umbilical graft in between and then it's flopping around, it's bone on cartilage, and it's causing them pain. And I'm like, all right, we have to go in and infuse this. And, and it works out great. And, and honestly, patients are super happy with this result. It's a tried and true procedure, and there's really no reason to have to go back. Yeah. At that yeah. stage, you, if you do it correctly and the thing is in a good position, then you should be done with that yeah. as an issue. Before, we used to use crossing screws, like you can see here. Mm-hmm. But now there's more <laughs> anatomic plates. I'm a plate person for these. I don't Me know too. about you. Yeah. The locking plates are great. They're yeah. really stable. It makes it easy to use bone graft underneath it if you need to. Yeah. You can even use the, the dynamic compression holes to yeah. get compression across it. So just technical details. Yeah, fun stuff. I mean, if you guys want us to jump into more uh, technical details, what we're thinking while we're doing through surgery, by all means, let us know. If you guys have questions, please let us know. We're here to help because... I could do an hour lecture on this, and, and I still won't be done. I mean, it's, it's a lot of fun talking about this stuff, but if it's boring you guys, by all means, please uh, let us know what you want to dive into. Well, I would say that was a good 30-minute uh, block of Halix Rigidus. Thanks, Dr. Hussein, and uh, we will see you guys next time on The Pod Doctors. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to The Pod Doctors. We appreciate all of our listeners and subscribers. If you'd like to hear more, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and watch our videos on YouTube. Like, thumbs up, subscribe, be safe. See you all next time. Bye-bye.